online, on Radio Player, and on 106.6 FM. This is Wickham Sound, the Wickham Wanderers Show. Welcome to the latest edition of the Wickham Wanderer Show. We're in some sort of no man's land, really, because uh, (laughs) there's no game to look back on uh, on Saturday. Uh, But we've got plenty for you this week, including uh, a bit of a special event which occurred at Adams Park uh, this afternoon, which was the culmination of a man running 100 miles. Which is very, very impressive. And and by all accounts, he certainly didn't look like a man who'd just run 100 miles at the end of it. Certainly not. I was very envious. I ran the uh, Penn and Tyler's Green Fun Run, which was approximately <laughs> three miles uh, many years ago, and <laughs> and didn't look anything like uh, Ross Jeffers said and, earlier. And needed help afterwards. Yes, I, I, I did the same. Yes, I did a 5K, and, and yes, and I possibly needed um, the St John Ambulance people to come and look after me afterwards. Um, but anyway, we, we will gloss over that one. We will also this evening be hearing from uh, Joe Shannon. Joe was the Burton Albion correspondent um, during their season that they got promoted to the championship and also then the season they stayed in the championship. Phil Catchpole has been catching up with him to find out just how a small club like Burton did it and whether or not Wickham Wanderers could get any pointers from what they did. And we'll be speaking live to JDT, John Taylor, who is the vice chairman of the Ex-Players Association. You'll uh, know if you've listened to the programme before, and if you have, thank you. Uh, We've spoken to uh, a number of former players and uh, John will be telling us a bit more about the Ex-Players Association. That's to come as well. And we will be hearing from Gareth Ainsworth, ahead of the game on Saturday against Millwall. We'll be getting his thoughts and also finding out what he got up to during the international break. It's all very exciting to come in the next hour here at Wickham Sound. But first, as mentioned, uh, a little earlier on this afternoon, I, I went down to Adams Park, which in itself is quite an exciting thing to do, because not many people get the chance no, that's to do very, that. No, that's very true. And uh, saw for myself uh, the uh, fantastic progress that the ground is making. There's uh, the, the digital advertising boards they were, they were on. They're, they're quite exciting, aren't they? I've never been excited by an advertising <laughs> no, board before. No, this is the first no, for me. No, I, I used to be very much of the opinion, oh, I don't like the digital advertising boards, I wish they'd get rid of them. But now the fact that we've got some, it's yes, like, oh, yes. wow, isn't this exciting? <laughs> real, a real step up for the club. And uh, it's great to sort of see and, and sort of almost feel how, you know, the, the club has... has Put a lot of effort into making the ground a bit more, a bit more ready, if you like, for the championship. Yeah, definitely, and and they've been doing it really well. And I like the fact that you know that it's gone ahead anyway, even though obviously the fans aren't being allowed in. They haven't sort of thought, oh well, it, it's fine. We don't have to worry about it at the moment. It's very much the reverse of that. It's like, right, this is a good chance to actually get the ground, you know, exactly how the Kuhigs want it. They've always been very much saying how much they they want to improve the match day experience, and clearly they've really, really gone for it. Um, and you know. And the fact that, yes, actually the fans aren't allowed in, um, whilst that's a real negative point, they have used that to their advantage in to make sure that actually, yes, when we are allowed back into Adams Park, there's lots of exciting things, including the Chairboys Village, uh, which is going to be bigger and better than ever before, I understand. And there's a third changing room, which looks quite exciting as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's, so. you know, again, it's, it's very impressive. And I think one of the things that, that I've already heard a couple of the clubs who've come to Adams Park, I think Swansea very much said it, um, you know, was that they were very impressed with how how well they were looked after. Um, you know, the, the, I, I'm not necessarily saying that they came along thinking that actually, oh yes, you know, they were going to be basically playing at a non-league ground, but I think they, they have been quite impressed with, with the hospitality that Wickham have put on, and also the facilities at Adam's Park. So you may ask yourself, what was I doing there? What were you doing there, Colin? I'm glad you asked me that. Um, 
<laughs> can't, can't rehearse this sort of thing, can you? <laughs> um, well, if you didn't know, it's been uh, Baby Loss Awareness Week, and Ross Jevons, who was a former member of the Wicked Wanderers media team, has set himself a challenge this week of running 100 miles in a week, which, if you say it quickly, doesn't sound that far, does it? No, no, but when you actually then think about it, you think, goodness me, that, that's, that's pretty impressive. And this fantastic endeavour in which he, he smashed his target of £1,000, it's well over £3,000 by the time he, he crossed the finishing line, he got the opportunity to finish at Adams Park, and uh, actually inside the ground as well, and uh, got the chance to speak to him a little bit afterwards. As we said, he, he did look very fresh, which, which, was, <laughs> which for unfit people like us is slightly depressing, but there you go. I, I struggle for breath coming up the stairs, which probably says more about me. <laughs> but um, it was a fantastic uh, opportunity to, to get his thoughts on how he felt completing the challenge. It's an element of pride, I guess. Um, so pleased to have got it over the line. And, and more importantly, I guess, that we've raised as much money as we have today, that we've raised as much awareness as we had, and hopefully we've given a bit of hope to people who have been in the same situation as my wife and I. It's something that's very close to your heart. For people that don't know, tell us a bit about the, the background behind why you're running for Tommy's. Yeah, sure. So in 2019, um, my wife and I were trying to start a family, trying to have a baby for the first time, and unfortunately we suffered four miscarriages consecutively, four in a row. Um, so it was a horrendous year for us. Um, it took its toll mentally, physically on my wife, clearly, and emotionally on us both. Um, but we had our happy ending, and this year, uh, in July, we had a baby boy called Callum. He's born, he's, he's the light of our lives. But obviously that we still carry the mental scars of what we went through, and together we want to do something that would um, not only give hope to others, but raise money for incredible charity. And Tommy's, who deal with not just miscarriage, but um, stillbirth, premature birth, and baby loss awareness in general. And Katie published her experience, and you got so much feedback from that, and it must have been quite an eye-opener to find that so many people have had similar experiences. 100%, yeah, and to be honest, that was almost what triggered all of this is is the bravery uh, bravery of my wife not just in going through what we went through but in sh um, kind of breaking the taboo and sharing her story and that first blog that she shared it was absolutely unbelievable the um, amount of feedback we got from it the amount of messages we'd have both publicly and privately from people um, not just wishing us the best but kind of sharing their own personal experience and I guess that made us realize and that um, we're not alone and, and that this isn't talked about enough and for, off the back of that is when we start to share further stories and when we came up with the idea of this challenge as well. And initially you're going to run the London Marathon for Tommy's, but, but 26 miles seems seems quite short compared to what you've just undertaken. Honestly, yeah, I'd fancy a marathon instead of this, but um, yeah, I was, I was ideally going to do the marathon in March, and, and obviously because of COVID it got put back to September, so I was actually training from you know, December to March, and then March to September for this marathon, and then it got cancelled again, and obviously they did the virtual run, which is great, but I just felt that um, I wanted to do something a little bit different, um, and I'm pleased I did actually, because the fact that we did this over the span of a week gave us plenty of opportunity to hammer people on social media and bore people's senses with our story and in fact we had such incredible reaction from it and it's been able to sit a little in its own space and as I said, the, the kind of donations and messages we've had in off the back of that have been incredible Did you have any expectations as to what the 100 miles would be like? Not really. I'm, I am a keen runner. Um, you know, I ran a couple of marathons in the past. I do train like, fairly regularly, but I've never done more than 40 miles a week. And this is a completely different kettle of fish. You know, I'm used to if I run a race, like a 10k race, you're obviously trying to run as quick as possible. But the sheer volume of mileage, I had no way of preparing for it. It was quite short notice. I do the challenge, and so I just kind of went to grit my teeth and get through it. All I knew is I wanted to do it in seven runs. I didn't want to break it up by doing like two runs a day. I wanted to just do one run a day of at least 14 miles. 
and um, I just kind of hope for the best and so midway through this week when I was having a few kind of twinges to my knee and my muscles were sore I was thinking my biggest fear to be honest was I don't know what I'm going to do if I get a bad injury here like after all the support and knowing I was finishing Adam's part for once if I can't walk <laughs> but thankfully it never came to that and uh, yeah here we are and it must have been sort of driven on obviously by the, the, the money that you're raising and the, and the good work that the charity does oh 100% yeah and so today even coming down the Hillbottom Road reading some of the messages that were coming in live if you like on social media and from family and friends that got me through it and Tommy's have been incredibly supportive as well um, they spoke really well in the media this week around uh, our story they've shared our story themselves on social media they're an incredible charity and you know, what I've just said to people really around this is in around COVID and 2020 has been a tough year for everyone so I completely understand that financially not everybody will be able to contribute to a cause like this but even by sharing a post on social media or talking to a friend or perhaps even just having a look at themselves and type of questions they ask people around babies and pregnancy and baby loss that's doing their bit so it's not just financial it's about the awareness as well. So how do you describe your feelings as you approach Adam's Park? Uh, yeah, it was pretty, as I say, relief. Um, I was pretty impressed that the sun came out as it started raining midway through my run. Um, and I was just looking forward to getting in there, seeing my family and my friends. Um, big shout out to Matt Cecil at Wickham um, for giving me the opportunity to finish the stadium. I really appreciate that. And I've done that walk up Hill Bottom Road many a time over the years, obviously, as a Wickham fan. Um, I don't think I've run it much before, so that was a unique experience. But even to see the staff outside giving me a round of applause when I came in. And um, from experience of having worked at the club, not getting shot by the groundsman for approaching the grass at one stage was, uh, was pretty good as well. You must be so pleased with how you've uh, beaten your target as well. Yeah, oh, amazing. I, I, I didn't know what to expect in terms of fundraising, to be honest. Um, so I set the bar at £1,000. Um, but we're well over £3,000 with gift aid now and um, I think we've got a few more to come in as well we've had an offer as well from a, a company who I won't name because we're just um, in the process of chatting to them at the moment with an incredible incredible donation which is really going to shoot the amount of money raised up as well so I think when we look back on it in a week's time and we kind of settle up the fundraising then hopefully we'll have made a real difference that was Ross Jevons speaking to Colin, uh, running for Tommy's, a fantastic charity. Um, and you can still sponsor Ross as well. Uh, if you go to virginamoneygiving.com and search for Ross Jevons, uh, Jevons spelt J-E-A-V-O-N-S. Um, he's currently raised uh, uh, over £3,000 uh, for the charity and a thoroughly well-deserved uh, and well done to Ross for running 100 miles over the last seven days. Such a great achievement. I was thinking of the Proclaimers, but of course they're 500 miles, aren't they? That's true. Yes, not that I'm saying 100 miles is nowhere near, nowhere near good enough, but 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 he he does do quite a lot of running, so actually yes. he might have put another thought in his head now about running 500 miles. He did say he, um, he could do a uh, marathon. Sort yes, of after that. well, and I think he's doing a run on Sunday. Yes, he's actually taking part in a 10k on Sunday, and it was just like goodness me again. You know, if you and I had done it, we'd probably spend six months now recovering from running. These runners, miles. they have the running bug. It's, don't it's they? impressive, isn't it? Uh, also, a special mention on uh, guest backing vocals to Leaf Blower and Aeroplane, who. <laughs> Who played quite who, a part in that interview. Who were, who were around in that interview. I uh, must mention as well, we have a Twitter poll this evening. We do. We're inviting you to suggest who you might think, not when, but who, uh, you might think will get the first goal for Wickham Wanderers this season. As you may well be aware, uh, there are none so far. 
this was a poll that we were going to do the first week and then we sort of forgot and we kept thinking oh we've probably left it too late now but actually sadly you can still say who you think Wickham's first league goal scorer will be of course we've had Daryl Horgan scoring the first goal because he did score in the Carabao Cup game uh, at Brentford um, but obviously we are still looking to open our league account so who do you think it is going to be we've put Daryl on the list we have put last season's leading scorer Joe Jacobson on the list uh, we have put Bayo on the list and then we are also inviting you to vote for uh, any other player um, and on Twitter if you could then let us know who that player would be um, but those are your options for tonight's poll who is going to be the first league goal scorer for Wickham Wanderers and leading the way is Joe Jacobson at the moment with 42% ah uh, yes okay with his, with his uh, magic corners and free kicks and, for, and penalties as well. He attempts them from inside his own half, even as well. Indeed, absolutely, yes, uh, as as he did earlier on this season. And you know, and again, I mean, what a way that would have been to to open our account. You know, I, I want us to open our account with a fantastic goal. Please don't let it be an own goal, or you know, or, or one of those sort of silly ones where it's actually off somebody's backside. Is that that? You know, we we want a decent goal. So you can check out the uh, the poll. Uh, you can tweet us at Wickham Sound using the hashtag TWWS. Uh, but as we're saying with regards to where is our first goal coming from, where is our first point coming from, um, Phil Catchpole has been catching up with Joe Shannon. A few seasons ago, you might remember that Burton Albion were unlikely um, contenders in the championship. They were promoted rather unexpectedly as well. Joe Shannon spent two seasons following Burton Albion as their correspondent for the local radio station there. Uh, and Phil has been catching up with him uh, to find out just how they did it. I think Wickham fans, a few of them, are scratching their heads thinking, just how are Wickham going to compete in the Championship? It was a few seasons ago now, but Burton, they got up there for the first time and they stayed there. How did they do it? What was the secret? Well, look, the first thing is, Phil, and it's going to sound like a massive cliche to say it, but it really is a season of the Championship for a club like us and was the same for a club like Burton is... It is a marathon and not a sprint. And I would really encourage people not to panic, but it is a marathon, not a sprint. There's a heck of a long way to go. A lot happens across the championship season. Sometimes you think you're certain to stay up. Sometimes you think you're certain to go down. There's a lot of ebb and flow, but I think it's far too early to make any, any big judgments just yet. Well, I'm looking at those fixtures for Burton in, in that 2016-17 season. Their first game at the championship level, a tremendous local derby. They lost 4-3 uh, to Nottingham Forest. Uh, the second league game, uh, they lost at home to Bristol City 2-1. So they lost their first two games. Exactly. And, you know, the Forest game was in some ways a great performance, but there was a lot to be desired in terms of the defensive display. I think there were already Burton fans concerned after that. But the more disappointing one was that second game of the season, as you mentioned, because they were beaten by Bristol City, 90th minute winner, and it left everybody feeling very flat. And you're two games in and all of a sudden you think, well, you know, where are the first points going to come from? And as it happened, third game of the season, I think it was Sheffield Wednesday at home. Uh, Burton won that by three goals to one. And suddenly everything started to flow from there. And it will be a case, and, and when Wickham when we pick up our first victory, and even when we pick up our first point, you know, that first clean sheet, confidence starts to flow. There's still time in the transfer window to add one or two new players, wherever Gareth can, wherever he thinks he's able to add new players. And of course, you know, recruitment is something that is so important across the championship season. We know we've got one of the lowest budgets in the league, so we have to think carefully in terms of that. 
but you're absolutely right. You know, Burton lost their first two games of the season. They had spells throughout the rest of the championship season where they lost games. And you've got to keep your nerve and you've got to stick with it. You know, we are going to lose games this season. There's going to be a lot of ebb and flow. And it might go right down to the final few weeks. It might go down to the final day. But, you know, there's always hope, I think, with the tenacity of this team, the spirit that we all know is in the dressing room, the spirit that we've got with the manager and the coaching staff. Um, the one thing I would stress, as I say, it's, it's it by no means time to panic. How did Burton go about their sort of recruitment in the summer and then subsequently in January? I mean, I don't recall them throwing loads of money around. They didn't, and it's not easy to do, Phil, as you, as you well know. And I'm not just talking about the respected budgets that Burton and Wickham had and have, which are going to be very similar in terms of the context of, you know, levels of budget in the league. We know that we're going to be bottom two, probably, maybe, maybe, maybe the lowest budget in the league. Um, and I think that you've got to recruit carefully and you've got to recruit diligently. And bear in mind that, you know, some players will be hesitant to go to a club that they know is going to be battling against relegation because they don't know what league they're going to be in next season. So there's a lot that Gareth is going to be having to fight against and battle against and, and, and work with at this time. But Burton, I think, did, you know, similarly to what we've done so far this season. You keep the nucleus of the squad that got you up because the spirit is there and in some areas the quality is there. You've got to add carefully and diligently and you've got to, you know, take a gamble on one or two players. Burton took a gamble on Jackson Irvine, who had been playing in Scotland up until that point at Ross County. He came and was one of the stars of the championship season you've got to use the loan market carefully we at Wickham know all about how to use the loan market effectively and I think everyone would acknowledge there's one or two areas maybe in the central midfield positions as well where we do need to get some depth and we had Nambi off the ball in last season he was such a big success but you know there are other players like that out there and Burton used it to their effect for good effect later on in the season they brought in Michael Kitely they brought in Corley Woodrow and Lassa Christensen from Fulham, two hungry young players in on loan who, in that last kind of 15, 20 games of the season, really gave them a lot of momentum that they needed to stay up. So you stick with the squad that you've got in large part. You add to that carefully, free transfers. You look at players that are experienced at championship level. You take a gamble on a couple of players. Jackson Irvine, the one at Burton, being a good example. And you use the loan market. We know how effective Gareth Ainsworth is at using the loan market. And again, I think in terms of bringing players in, he's looking at it diligently and carefully. And Burton proved that if you had the right kind of player with the right kind of character, you go under the radar, you take a couple of gambles, you use the loan market well, it, it can be done. And how about the fans? How important were the fans for Burton Albion? Because there, there may have been a few wobbles at the start, but when results started to, 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 to get on the board, how important were the fans for that momentum? Massively, Phil, massively. And, and this is obviously the thing that counts against us this season, unfortunately, at the moment, with the circumstances that we're in. And we don't know, you know what is going to happen in terms of supporters. I, you know, I doubt that we'll have full stadiums come the end of the season, sadly. But the fans were crucial, and I think... Most importantly, you know, most Burton fans, the vast majority, recognise the scale of the achievement, first of all, in terms of getting to the championship. And also the, the, the task in terms of staying up. You know, survival for Burton was a much better achievement than, staying, than getting to the league in the first place because of how difficult it is to stay up across a championship season. There's a lot of ebb and flow. And, you know, you've got to stick with the team. You've got to stick with the players, really. And you've got to stick with the manager because there are some remarkably 
you know, historical clubs in this division, clubs with far bigger budgets, clubs with huge ambitions of reaching the Premier League. I think the Championship is one of the most competitive leagues in Europe. We all, we all know that. But I think it's massively important for supporters to kind of create that siege mentality, get behind the club, realise that the odds are against us, but that it's not impossible. And if you do that, you create a really kind of positive um, dynamic atmosphere. I think, obviously, the lack of crowds is, is a difficult one. But one thing that it certainly helped Burton with was the home record, which is such an important part of staying in the championship. If you can be solid at home and pick up points at home, as Burton did across the season, they shot one or two teams as well, then you give yourself a really good chance. Yeah, I'm just looking at the home form. There's some big results at the Pirelli that really kept them up. Burton 2, Norwich 1. I think they beat Wolves as well uh, at that stadium as well. And yep. I think this, again, plays back I mean, into, the, into the lack of fans, is that, you know, Wickham was such a fortress it was at Adams Park, wasn't it? Um, and it's not going to happen again this season, perhaps. But, you know, Wickham have got a bit of a trump card in Adams Park, but they can't really play it. That's going to hamper them, isn't it? Well, it's a concern, isn't it, the lack of supporters? You know, Adams Park, presumably, if we were allowed to fill it and if this was normal circumstances, you know, would be close to full, if not full, most weeks. And especially for the bigger games. And I think for Burton, it was a great advantage, Phil, because... You know, the Pirelli, with, with all respect, it's it's a relatively new ground. The facilities are quite good. But most of the championship clubs, you know, players in some of those teams, you mentioned Wolves, you mentioned Norwich, Burton beat Leeds towards the end of the season. They drew with Aston Villa at home as well. Most of those players were not kind of used to the, you know, the, the smaller surroundings, the terracing. You know, we've got a terrace, obviously, at Adams Park, the, the size of the dressing rooms, the size and scale of the stadium itself. You know, players aren't used to this. And I think that Wickham can certainly play on that. The first thing that you start with when you're a club just promoted to the championship is you look at your home games and you say, right, we're going to make this place a fortress. We're going to become really hard to beat. We're going to surprise teams. We're going to shock teams. We're an unknown quantity. Nobody knows what to expect. Everybody, if anything, thinks they're going to turn up and beat us. And that was exactly the position that Burton were in. And they used that to their advantage and they said you know nobody expects us to do anything but we're going to surprise a few teams here and, uh, and they did Joe Shannon talking to Phil Catchpole with his survival tips for the championship which uh, we can take a lot from I think yeah absolutely I mean it's slightly worrying to hear how much Joe was saying that actually Burton did it because of the home crowd and clearly we haven't quite got that at the moment but even so I thought there were some very very good tips in there and yes one of the things that we do need to do even though the crowd aren't there is try and turn Adams Park into a little bit of a fortress still to come on this week's The Wickham Wanderers show we'll be hearing from manager Gareth Ainsworth ahead of the next championship game to arrive at Adams Park on Saturday against Millwall and we'll be speaking live in a few moments time to John Taylor the vice chair of the ex-players association here at Wickham Sound love music love talk love Wickham Sound Welcome back to the second part of the Wickham Wanderers show. If you've been listening over recent weeks, you'll know we've been lucky enough to feature a number of former Wanderers players. We spoke to Glyn Creaser. I also spoke to John Maskell last week, who uh, you might have heard paid tribute, that's the right expression, uh, to uh, John Taylor, who's the vice chairman of the Ex-Players Association. I'm very pleased to say John joins us this evening. Hello, sir. Good evening. Nice to talk to you. Likewise. Thank you so much for, for chatting to us. It's really fantastic, isn't it, to, to have the opportunity to, to get Ex-Players together. Well, it was uh, an idea that uh, started because we did a dinner for the 1957 team in 2007, 50 years on. And the then chairman, Steve Hayes, 
said to Alan Hutchinson and then myself, look, you know, this was good. Why don't we carry it on? And um, to be fair to him, and I know a lot of people criticized him for other things, but uh, he backed us full all the way. And since then, we've uh, we've done 12 dinners, we've done uh, an annual quiz, an annual bowls tournament, um, and most important to some people, the annual golf tournament. Unfortunately, all cancelled this year, but we will be back. And you do a lot of great work for charity as well, of course. We um, we raise money uh, every year from all our events. We're the, one of the few ex-players associations to actually charge ex-players to join us. Uh, I was talking to a guy from Southend a few weeks ago, and he said, oh, we've got 350 members. I said, oh, that's really good. We've only got about uh, 120, 130 who pay, uh, but a lot more, you know, get the information. And he said, pay? No, no, none of ours pay. They're just members. Um, and a lot of modern players can't understand, uh, look, I played for Wickham Wanderers, why should I pay to be in the ex-players? And we explain what we do, what our aim is, is to raise money for charities, but also to raise money for the football club. And we've, we've done things like, and you talked about the poll for, for uh, goals, uh, we've just... Um, invested in a new set of goalposts for the training ground. They were a little bit short up there. Gareth Ainsworth came to us and said, look, uh, you did it a couple of years ago. We're going to have a few more players. Can you can you manage it again? We uh, raked around and uh, sure enough, and tomorrow Vince Faulkner and Keith Samuels will be up there presenting Keith, uh, will be presenting Gareth um, and Dobbo with the new set of goalposts. What we then want is exactly what happened uh, two years ago. They'll start scoring in them. <laughs> I mean, the, the, it's fantastic that you do that, John, and uh, I, I think it's completely understandable. And I hope that when you then explain that to ex-players, pretty much they're all on board. Well, I think the, the major, major problem we have is that the older players, and we go back now to the 40s, we've got people like Dick Tumner who, who played in the 40s. Um, we've got the, and unfortunately, only four survivors now with Jim Truitt's uh, death a few weeks ago. We've only got four from the 57 team, but we do have other players that played in the squads during that uh, decade. But when we come to the more modern players... You know, you, you say to Bayo when Bayo eventually retires in five years' time, uh, you know, come and join us. We're, um, you know, the ex-players. He'll say, well, which of my 15 clubs do I join as an ex-players association? In the old days, when I, when I travelled with the Bucks Free Press, which was my first job, sports reporter covering Wicked Wanderers, we picked up Len Worley and John Beck at uh, Jared's Cross, and they were regarded as foreigners. We had nine players that all lived around the Wickham area, very close. Len was almost an outsider. Johnny Beck, another great player. Um, so it's going to be completely different. The people who succeed us are not going to have an easy time. But we're, you know, we're trying to encourage younger players. Keith Ryan's on our committee. Glenn Creaser, who you had on a, a couple of weeks ago, he's on our committee. The important thing is to get the more modern players in, and they can phase us old boys out, which would be great. As you say, it's, it's interesting that you know years ago players 
stayed at clubs for such a, a lengthy period and, and that, that now and the, the different generations of players have so many similar stories to share with, with players from so many different eras at the club but they have sort of combined successes as well. Well, you talked to John Maskell last week. John Maskell played for the first team for 16 years. I only had 752 games less than John, <laughs> which is not bad, is it? Um, I played the same number as Ray Wilkins, actually, just to, uh, just so you know that. Uh, so I am actually an ex-player. Um, but, um, no, it was fantastic. I, I mean... I've been lucky because I played at Wickham Wanderers for the youth team and played my one solitary game for the first team, Ilford, 1964, April the 21st. It's impressed in my mind. But let me tell you that seven of that team in 1964 are still members of the Ex-Players Association. I think they're waiting for me to trap the ball. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, tell us about your memories then of Lokes Park and, and, and Wickham Wanderers sort of going very, very way back. What was your first memories or fir first awareness of the club? Well, I, I went down to Lokes Park in uh, 1952 with a, a great chum of mine, Graham Dorset. We walked down all the way into uh, Wickham, into the ground, and we watched from behind the goal. And in those days, you could watch behind a goal, and at half-time, you could go up the other end so you could catch all the Wickham goals. But if I tell you that in one of the first games I saw there, a guy called Dennis Atkins scored in a 2-2 draw with Leighton Stone. There were 7,000 people at that game. Now, you, you look at the, the attendances today, and Wickham will say, well, 5,000, we've done pretty well. 7,000 for an Isthmian League game in 1952. That in itself, and when let me tell you, they're playing teams like Tufnell Park, Dulwich Hamlet, Oxford City, not Oxford United, Oxford City, John Muscular are like that, Walthamstow Avenue, St Albans, teams like that. Nobody today realises just how far Wickham Wanderers have come. And that's down to a series of tremendous managers, going back to Sid Khan in the 50s, to Brian Lee uh, in the 70s, uh, obviously to Martin O'Neill, um, and I'll tell you something about Martin in just a second. Then Laurie Sanchez and Paul Lambert, who did the uh, the great cup runs, League Cup and FA Cup. And then, of course, to Gareth. Um, it, those people have all contributed to what is... It is an unbelievable story. And to say that we're in the championship, I know we haven't, uh, we haven't started our season yet, but we will. And uh, I know that everybody has confidence in Gareth Ainsworth. But going back to Martin O'Neill, I've just finished, you talk about charity stuff that we do. We also do a lot of stuff around the club. Uh, we, we set up Monty's Bar, which is all the photographic history of Wickham Wanderers. In the corridors, we've got uh, pictures and montages of the internationals. I've just finished doing 12 huge picture montages, which are going to be in the foyer of the club, the new look foyer, when we go back, which covers all of the great eras, going back to 1931, when we won the Amateur Cup. 
But we're also uh, putting together, and we have done six so far, and I've just finished the seventh, uh, uh, videos uh, which uh, are on YouTube for fans to watch to remind themselves of the great moments in history at Wickham Wanderers. We did a, an in-depth uh, interview with Brian Lee. We've done Wickham in the 80s. We've done the 2000 and Cup glory, the 2007 League Cup stuff, uh, the Lokes Park years all the way through, and just finished a revisit with Martin O'Neill. He, he did a fantastic interview with Alan Hutchinson, our chairman, uh, in 2012. Um, there were some gems in there. I've managed, because of my TV background, to put together uh, a package now that includes all the action of the things that Martin was talking about in front of Wickham fans uh, that particular night at Adams Park. This is going to be a, a terrific reminder, and also to the current players, of what past players have done. Because our, our uh, slogan is, from our past comes our future. And I honestly believe that we can inspire current players because of what the past players have done. And I really, really am certain that when the modern players, and Matt Cecil told me today that he will be showing them the video that I've just completed, they, you know, they will realise that their predecessors went to Wembley. Martin's teams went to Wembley three times in five years. He got them from the non-league into the league and into the next division. Gareth has taken it on further steps. That's what you have to do. And that's what we, as an ex-players association, try to uh, enlighten everybody about. Because fans, if you do a poll now and say who's the best player ever in Wickham Wanderers history, they'll say, might go back as far as Dave Carroll, um, probably not even as far as that. But, you know, we remember players from the 50s, Paul Bates, who won the England International Cup, Len Worley, who was a fantastic player, uh, as you rightly found out, played for Tottenham Hotspur in the first division as an amateur before coming back to Wickham Wanderers. So a great history, and we want to keep that alive. I really like as well what you, you mentioned with regards to other clubs that, that you played uh, against and that we remember playing against, such as the Slough Towns, the Dulwich Hamlets, the St Albans City. I think fans have to remember, particularly when we're sitting here and we've played four games and we haven't won any of them, um, and people might be getting a little bit sort of moany, that actually there's so many other non-league clubs out there who wish they were where Wickham Wanderers were. The fact that we managed to break through to the Football League and then we've had such success in those years since we've got, got there. You know, just actually how fortunate we are to have had some of the ex-players and ex-managers that we have and now Gareth, obviously, at the helm. Well, the thing is that there are some clubs that Wickham used to play regularly that aren't even in existence now. Um, I, I remember a manager saying his first game was Wolverton Town. Well, you know, we can look at their fixture list and think, oh, Rotherham, hmm, well, pretty average. Blackburn Rovers, Blackburn Rovers, Swansea, we've got Millwall coming up, Reading, Norwich and Watford. I mean, these are, all, these are teams that have been in the Premier League. I, I mean, I joked when, when we did that fantastic result against Oxford and saying, only one more step, Gareth, 
and you could be playing in Europe. And uh, that sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But it sounded ridiculous in the 80s that Wickham, who didn't at one stage want to turn professional, people at the club, some people at the club, thought we should stay as a... It wasn't amateur football in those days. But it, it had been amateur football, but it was it was football, but didn't want to go full-time professional. And in fact, Martin says um, in this interview with with Hutch, um, his players, when they came into the Football League and they were playing the first game up at Carlisle, he, his players, to a man, all said they would turn professional, although every single one of them was going to lose money because they were going to be paid previously as part-time professionals and they had full-time jobs. Um, and that was the kind of player that Dave Carroll was, that Jason Cousins was, that Glyn Creaser, you know, um, just fantastic characters. And this is the thing that, that makes me so enjoy Wickham Wanderers, is that in every era there have been fantastic players and players who are still involved in the club and still come along. Some of them moan because no goalkeeper ever dropped the ball once he stopped playing and nobody, and I talked to Keith Samuels about this, nobody ever missed an open goal in the old days. <laughs> but they come back and they support and we get, you know, we get 250, 300 people at our annual dinner from every era of Wickham Wanderers history and all the managers that come in all say we've never known a club like this and I think that's fantastic. It's so special, isn't it? Everyone, different generations have their, their memories of different eras. As you say, yeah, I remember my first game was at Lokes Park against Kettering, um, and now we're playing teams in the second tier of English football. Uh, we spoke to Chris, one of our presenters, he said he remembers watching Corinthian Casuals was the first game, and yet other, other generations might just remember, you know, going to Villa Park and playing Liverpool in the semi-final of the FA Cup. It just depends what your, what your sort of earliest memories are, I guess. It does. Uh, we, we want to... I've tried to say to the club in the past, Montes could be used as a, a place for school children to go to during their school days, when we all get back to normality, and walk round and be led round Montes without the bar open, and uh, and look at the history of the football club because that's tied in with the history of the town. The people will understand what Frank Adams did for the club. They probably don't know why it's called Adams Park. But the fact that Frank Adams was such a great character from the 1920s right the way through. And people like him. We have pictures of the old ground, the the Lokes Park before there were even stands there and for people to be able to understand that if they go and go to hospital and stand in the car park they're standing on the penalty spot uh, it's the history of the town and I don't want to lose that I, I want it embedded in with a forward look that people like Gareth Ainsworth and Dobbo and the current team give it as well and just finally, how would you like to see the Ex-Players Association develop? Well, I th as I said earlier, I do think that our successors will have a much, much more difficult time. If you look at the players playing today, 
a very, very, well, I don't think there are any local. Oh, well, Matt Bloomfield, I suppose you could say, was a brought-in local, although I think he still is, is back uh, living uh, uh, away from here. It's going to be a problem keeping the impetus going, but as long as we have um, a consensus of, of people um, from... The, just the previous era, the people, this is where, as I say, Keith Ryans and the Glencreases, the Keith Scotts, the Jason Cousins are so important because they're the next kind of people. We know they're not going to have time to do what we do now. They just don't have the time because they're working. They're back in real life and have got uh, nine to five jobs. But eventually, hopefully, by keep encouraging them, by keep bringing them back to our events, they will follow on from what we're doing. Well, I do hope so, John. It's been absolutely fascinating speaking to you. You do a fantastic job, and thank you so much for coming on and telling us all about it at Wickham Sound. Well, I'd uh, just like to say that um, I, I do it because I've got uh, two grandchildren, big supporters of the club, eight years old, ten years old. They love Wickham Wanderers, and that's what we want. Fantastic to speak to you. Thanks again for your time. Thanks. Bye. Uh, John Taylor, who is the uh, Vice Chair of the Expire Association, speaking to us here at Wickham Sound. Love music. Love talk. Love Wickham Sound. Great to speak to John. Final part of the Wickham Wanderers show for this evening. And must say a very special hello to uh, Charlotte and all the uh, uh, Wickham Wanderers ladies who are on their way to training this evening in preparation for uh, their second qualifying round women's FA Cup clash away to uh, Fulham on Sunday. A big hello to them. Hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> and also to Tara Woodward, who tomorrow is um, involved in a skydive where she'll be uh, rapidly being reintroduced to the ground from approximately 14,000 feet up. And uh, the, you can still sponsor her as well. Um, if you fancy sponsoring Tara, who is um, jumping out of a plane for Mind, um, and she says on, on her Just Giving website, I'm launching myself out of a plane for Mind. Because why not? Well, why not indeed? Um, then just search for Tara Woodward um, on Just Giving. Uh, she's currently raised £645. And there are links on our Twitter as well, so uh, do check out that. Uh, talking of Twitter, there's still time for you to get your uh, votes in for our poll, being led by Joe Jacobson currently. Indeed. As to who you think will be uh, the first goal scorer uh, in the Championship for Wickham Wanderers. As well. And you can also pick um, uh, Bayo. And you can also pick Daryl Horgan, or you can tell us another player, whoever you think might be the person who scores the first goal. Any uh, thoughts yourself? The, this season. Um, uh, I, I can see why JJ is, is leading the way, and so yes, so I'm going to go for him. Oh. Excellent, excellent choice. No, yeah, I, I, I'd yeah. probably choose him as well. Yeah, yeah, OK. <laughs> we're, we're all thinking free kick, probably, or even another one of his famous corners. That would be be very good. Um, in, in other interesting news, um, the EFL has apparently turned down the uh, Premier League's £50 million bailout. Um, the EFL board have said that they will decline any help which excludes any of its members. I wonder if this is a little bit about the fact that the Premier League were then saying, oh, well, we're going to be 18 clubs and you carry on being, being 24 clubs in each division, so obviously two we're going to have to drop mm. out. Um, so yes, they've said um, that they feel so far that it is simply an attempt to create a divide between the championship clubs and those in Leagues 1 and Leagues 2. So they've said no to the £50 million that was on offer from the Premier League. Breaking news on the Wickham Wanderers show. Indeed. Uh, well, uh, Wickham Wanderers return to action this Saturday. They're at home to Millwall after the international break. And uh, you might wonder how Gareth Ainsworth, as a championship manager, has been spending the international break. Pretty much the same, uh, if I'm honest. We had, we had Saturday, Sunday off and... Uh, that was a nice break for me, not to have the pressure of a game and, and to have a look at some other footage, but also spend time with the family, which was really important, you know. I think that 
the intensity has stepped up this year without a shadow of a doubt. You know, there's, uh, there seems to be a, a bit more to do, especially in this transfer window. And, uh, and so getting those moments with the kids especially is, uh, is, is crucial. So I got to watch my son's football game, which they won 2-0, so at least one ends with his winning at the moment. Uh, so that was nice. And, uh, and yeah, we, we, just, uh, we just spent time as a family on the weekend, which, believe it or not, will help football. It resets you sometimes and, uh, and, and obviously puts a lot of stuff in perspective, especially with what's going on in the world at the moment. But um, it, was, uh, it was a nice week where we could work on a few little bits that we feel we've been just a bit short on and gives us another chance, obviously, to get the likes of Akin Fenwa fit and Gabe fit, um, Uchi fit, you know, people like that coming back into the fold this weekend, which is brilliant for me. So, yeah, much of a muchness, but uh, some nice family time. And uh, if that's the wrong thing to do, then uh, I will stand by the wrong thing to do because family is really important to me. No, definitely. It sounds a really nice way to, to spend the time and also must be really pleasing to have had a player on international duty as well. Yeah, very proud, especially last night, you know, the, the double-edged sword last night, really. Darrell got 15 minutes uh, last Sunday, I think it was, and, uh, and obviously he's... Uh, an international player it's great for Wickham Wonders to have that um, our first one in the championship and last night he started against Finland which was great you know and I thought he did really well so very proud to be able to watch Daryl um, I'm hoping that there's plenty more to come from the other members of the squad you know I've got one or two with uh, nationalities and allegiances at places that I'm sure that, that could be called up but um, yeah Daryl was flying the flag last night um, my only thing was I wish it had been Tuesday night because we've got a game Saturday now and uh, he's been an important player for us this season so we'll, we'll look at his, his loading and uh, and look where he is um, whether we uh, we start him or we introduce him from the bench on Saturday we'll we'll see we'll speak to Daryl and see how he is but yeah real real proud moment for me more proud for Daryl I'm sure and his family so great to have an international player again in the squad. You said before the season it would take you sort of four or five weeks to kind of get a, a feel for the championship what, what are your initial uh, impressions? Yeah, we, we need to be better. We need more cutting edge going forward, without a doubt. Um, I think the defences in the Championship are much more solid. They're, they're better, and we need to find ways of breaking these down. We know that. The other way, uh, chances that we give away, I've, I've said they will be punished. And, and uh, it did take a worldy goal against Luton for, for that game to, to you know, tip the balance in their favour. And sometimes you have to take that. It was a fantastic strike by Pelly Ruddock, and, and, uh, and that did tip it in their favour. So... But I'm not stupid, you know, results are everything. I'd, I'd rather play bad and get a result at the moment because uh, I'm a football manager and we live and die by results. So I'm desperate to get results uh, and get the wins on the board. But I'll keep working on what I think is the right thing to do and uh, and hopefully, like I say, the introduction of some of these players who've been injured will strengthen us no end and, uh, and we'll be able to... Um, compete at a better level in this championship which again is a fantastically tough league but what a challenge what an experience um, just wish there was fans in the stadium to, to help us and to, and to experience it all with us and uh, obviously that looks slimmer and slimmer every day but um, you look at the Finland game last night I think there was 6,000 fans in and it does seem crazy where one part of the world can have them and the others can't um, just hope we can get everything under control and get these fans back in because there's some brilliant supporters. I've had some great support messages and uh, I'd love them to be in the stadium with me to experience what is championship football. No, that would be fantastic. And as you say, some of those names coming back to, to fitness and also uh, Josh Knight, uh, getting to see him as well, must be a, a fantastic lift for the side. Yeah, Josh has been a big target of ours for a long time. Um, we've liked him from his Peterborough days um, when he was on loan there for, from Leicester and uh, and Josh is going to—he's uh, definitely going to add something to our to our defending. Still trying desperately to get another one in, but time may be against us on that. You know, there's, uh, 
it seems to be uh, you know few and far between the players that are available. But there's always the chance after the window to to get um, free agents in as well. So we're working very hard on uh, on what we can do, and um, I'm hoping that we can uh, we can still add at least one to the squad before the window closes, or maybe after we can still do it after if they're free agents and you get some good free agents coming out. So we'll see. But um, yeah, working hard as well as trying to run the training ground, trying to keep everyone in check with COVID conditions, and then trying to find a way to beat Millwall on Saturday as well. So it is non-stop, but. Um, I'm loving it, and again, woke up this morning feeling very lucky, very humble, and uh, looking forward to doing my job today. It must be especially nice for the likes of Fred and Jason to get to play against their former teams, especially at, that, at this level. Yeah, there's going to be some edge to it, obviously, with Fred. He was there a long time, and Jason went there and, and unfortunately didn't really feature us. Um, so both of those will be really up for getting one over on Millwall on Saturday, and uh, as long as they, uh, they keep that under control and, uh, and do the right things, then I'm, I'm all for that. You know, it's... Uh, a great opportunity for them both to to, uh, to show showcase their talents, and uh, that's what we aim to do. And you're coming up against another former teammate in the dugout as well, which must be nice when that happens. Yeah, Gary's a great guy. You know, we, we go back to the uh, in 1990, 91, I think. So, you know, nearly 30 years, and uh, and we were both young. I think Gary's maybe a year younger than me, um, and we were both first year and second year pros at Cambridge United at the time, and. Uh, and we both featured in the first team at such young ages, and uh, and obviously Gary went on with a fantastic career. You know, I'm, I played against him again in, in in future games for future teams. But um, great guy, um, and done really well in management. And uh, I'm sure we'll be uh, we'll be sharing a a fist bump and, a, and maybe a beer after the game. But um, it's uh, it's all you know for for the points between three o'clock and five o'clock. I'm sure and. Uh, and Gary will be exactly the same. And just finally, what's your message to, to fans who'll be thinking, you know, the, the first points are just around the corner? <laughs> Keep thinking that way, because uh, I need you. It was never going to be easy, we knew that, um, and uh, and I firmly believe we've got enough to survive in this league. Um, we just need to put the room together, I think. Looking back at the first League One season we had um, two years ago, which seems crazy that... You know, we were only for promoted to League One two years ago. You know, we struggled at the start. I think our first win came away at Bradford after five, six games, maybe. Um, so again, we've been here before. We know what it's going to take. And um, I've got a great bunch of boys that, that, you know, are doing exactly what I want. Sometimes there's some fantastic teams up against us, but um, we'll make sure that we're, we're competitive in every game. And uh, like I say, we won't go down for a lack of fighting. We'll be uh, we'll be scrapping for every point there is. Great to talk to uh, Gareth and great to get his views as well on, uh, well, a number of things, really. Yeah, I mean, really interesting, uh, very, very honest. I think interesting that they're still planning or still trying to bring somebody in um, and also that that might even be after the transfer window has shut if it is a free agent. So, obviously, they've got a couple of options there. Um, but, yeah, it's good good to hear that, actually, yes, you know, we're still looking to build on that squad. Fantastic as well, obviously, that we've got Josh Knight, as Gareth said, somebody that they've looked at for a long time, so they clearly feel that he can make a, a big difference. And the likes of uh, Gabe Tafrizoli um, and uh, others, Ikpiatsu, um, Akin Fenwell, not quite sure how far off he is, but, but Gareth said you know, the international break has been really good for them to, to get their fitness back. Yes, yeah, let's hope so. I mean, I saw a picture of Akin Fenwell, I think it was on Twitter, where, where his knee was still, still had something round it. He had a knee brace. Yeah, yeah. he had a knee brace, and you do think, oh, you know, well, hopefully that's just a precaution, um, because I, d- I think it will be fascinating to see what Akin Fenwell can do in the Championship. Um, clearly, so many teams have decided that actually, well, yeah, you know, he's somebody 
somebody that possibly can only play in the you know the the lower divisions. Clearly, AFC Wimbledon when they went up, you know the, that that was that was our gain, very much their loss, our gain, as we proved that Bayo could do it in League One, and I think probably we're going to prove that Bayo can actually do it in the Championship because he is so good at holding up the ball, um, and I think we could really do with that at the moment. It'd be fantastic to see if Daryl Horgan does feature as well, having had such his, his international call up as well, which must give him a lift personally and, and also as he, he's already scored this season um, he's already you know appeared uh, this season for, for Wickham and, and you've seen him in the supermarket as well yes that's right yes I did but fantastic that he is now playing you know or, or started for the Republic of Ireland so he started uh, in the Finland game played 75 minutes um, Ireland unfortunately did lose at that one um, but brilliant that actually yes we have got another player who is an international now um, with Wickham Wanderers and he really does I, you know, every time I see Daryl Horgan I think he looks like he's going to score a goal uh, whenever he's on the pitch uh, you are feeling quite optimistic uh, and I really hope that, that he's fit enough to start on Saturday because I think he's the, he is fantastic he is um, along maybe with JJ I know I said JJ earlier on with the poll but you know I think it's going to be one of those two that, that gets gets the goal I think he I, I think if it's going to be Daryl Horgan he's going to score the first goal from open play Oh. That's, that's putting your neck above the parapet, is that an expression? I think I think that is uh, an expression. Um, and we must find out as well with regards to the polls. So, so how how the results, because I believe that the polls... Producer have... Luke joins us. Hello, I'm the person from the election that reads out the <laughs> results. I can't think what they're called. Um, but I can reveal, in reverse order, uh, Akin Fenwa, 25%. Daryl Horgan, 33%. Uh, and Joe Jacobson winning at 42%. And that's yeah, you know, you you wouldn't think necessarily if you said to somebody, oh, you know, it's a, it's a defender, you know, who's going to get the the most goals and get the first goal again. People would say, oh no, definitely not. But we all know what Joe Jacobson can do um, from a corner, from a free kick. So no great surprise that JJ won that one. No, definitely. And uh, a really nice, as you mentioned, for Daryl Horgan joining a list of other uh, Wickham Wanderers players on the honours board who've, who've represented their country at international level as well. Yes, I mean, it's, you know, and it is quite an impressive list. Um, it, it, in particular, though, the fact, you know, it's the Republic of Ireland and you think, wow, that, you know, that is a, a, a decent, you know, a, a, a country that you think, yeah, you know, you've got to be really, really good to play for the Republic of Ireland. With all due respect to some of the others, um, Antigua and Barbuda are on the list, the Seychelles are on the list um, but Republic of Ireland you think well yeah you know they have got a lot of footballers you do have to be a good player to play for them so can I push you for a prediction uh, Wickham Wanderers at home to Millwall on Saturday oh okay um, I'm, I'm hoping that I, I keep saying whenever I speak to, to Rob Lesperance before the game and he keeps pushing me and I keep going for Wickham winning um, so I'm, I'm going to say that Wickham are going to draw this weekend I think it's going to be one all uh, JJ scoring from, from a free kick because I don't know if, if the players or even the manager looks at games, because they always say, don't they, managers take one game at a time, but they must look at some of the games coming up, especially for the remainder of this month, and thinking Millwall at home should be something we can get something from. Definitely. I think when you then look beyond that and you look at Norwich and you look at Watford, I, th- I think you're thinking, well, those are going to be quite tough games. You know, we're going to be lucky to get something from those. Whereas I think the Millwall game, uh, you know, particularly if this was a fixture in League One, you'd be thinking, well, yeah, OK, you know, we should be able to do all right. We should get something from that. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm sure Gareth wouldn't wouldn't admit that. But I think probably, yeah, we're, we're all thinking the same thing. So let's hope that we can get something from that Millwall game. But again, as John said earlier on, uh, with regards to some of the other teams that 
that we used to play, you know, we have to remember what a fortunate situation we are in because we could be one of those non-league clubs. We could be Macclesfield Town, who, who no longer exist. Definitely something to bear in mind. Join us next week where we'll be uh, reviewing the action between Wickham Wanderers and Millwall, looking ahead to, uh, as I say, a tough run of fixtures as well. Uh, talking to Ken Wilson, 80s striker, uh, plus we'll be previewing Wickham Wanderers ladies' league season and finding out how they got on in the FA Cup second qualifying round as well. Uh, that's a way to Fulham on Sunday. Many thanks indeed for listening. Uh, don't forget to check out the podcast as well.